Welcome to another episode of The Working Title, hosted by PJ Harris. All right, Carl. So I got you, mate. Yep. Wonderful. So welcome to the podcast, mate. I believe this is the uh, the first podcast you've done. Is that right? Yeah, that's right, mate. Yep. There you go. It's the start of your illustrious career in journalism, mate. <laughs> I don't think so. But yeah. <laughs> Wonderful, mate. So, yeah, the reason I wanted to get you on is like um, you've actually got quite an interesting story, although you are, as I, if I remember correctly, you're quite humble. So you probably won't think you have. But um, you really do, mate. And I think you've got some value in there hidden away that, you know, some people are going to listen to and find quite interesting and maybe get some um, value from themselves. So, first of all, Carl Martin, you are pretty much not in this order, but you are a firefighter, EMT, former Royal Wing commando. You're a bit of a fizz pest. Uh, you're a CrossFit coach, personal trainer, husband, and a father, and more importantly, a dad to Hank. To most people right, that don't know, Hank is your chocolate lab. <laughs> That's all right. He's the best. Wonderful, mate. So. At the moment, you're coming at me from America, is that right? Whereabouts? Yeah, Kansas City right now, yeah. Um, that's where I'm living right now, yeah. You still all celebrating? Oh, oh yeah, mate. It was, it's was. it been crazy. Big Chiefs fans, uh, Super Bowl win was crazy. Um, yeah, watched it at home and setting off fireworks and stuff at the end. They just had the, the victory parade yesterday downtown, so watched that on TV when I was at work and it was it was pretty crazy. It's been a, a good time for Kansas City. You know, not used to these big uh, these big wins. So um, the, it's, the town's very city's very humble place. You know, hardworking people. So they take these these wins pretty pretty well. So it's pretty big. So yeah, it's good. Awesome, mate. Awesome. So obviously you grew up in the UK. Uh, whereabouts did you grow up? Um, so you can't. I couldn't really put a a spot on where I really grew up because my old man was in the army. He's been in the army for, I think, I believe 34 years. So I was actually born in Germany um, and uh, lived over there on and off, I think, for about six years. Um, and then was in the UK all over the place. Like, I mean, you know how it works. Like when you get drafted, you get drafted all over the place. So, um, so yeah, moved around a lot. Um, you know, between promotions and, and my dad got demoted one time as well. So um, that's all good fun. But I would probably, if I had to put a place on it, I'd probably say the Bournemouth area because when I was uh, seven or eight years old, I, I went to boarding school. My mum and dad decided that moving around all the time, different schools, I think I had seven schools by the time I was seven. So they were like, oh, get, let's get him settled somewhere. So yeah, seven or eight, I went to boarding school. So I would, and that was down in in Ringwood, which is just outside of Bournemouth. So that's probably the best, most settled place I've ever been. So yeah. So pretty much, you moving over to America was always sort of, always pretty much planned. You've never settled anywhere until you decided, sort of thing. Um, no, we. I mean, we even with when I met my wife like we moved around a bit like she she lived in the UK with me as you know you 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 know um fairly well um yeah she moved to the UK she lived in Scotland with us when me and you were based up there up in uh Helensburgh and then we moved to Plymouth and then after Plymouth we we moved to the states um 
Awesome, Sorry, mate. if you can hear loads of eating and drinking, it's my dog in the background. He's, <laughs> he's being really loud. So Hank, um, Hank is forgiven, mate. Yeah, um, all right, mate. Well, we'll jump onto that a little bit later because we'll we'll um we're gonna delve into that. So, well, uh, what age were you when you joined the Marines? Uh, I was 24. Yeah, I started training after my just after my 24th birthday. Awesome. And what was your motivation for joining the Corps? What did you do before, and what sort of led you into it? Um, so before I joined the call, like I went to I went to university in Twickenham, just it's like a just outside of London, and um, and had a great time, but I never really like put in a lot of effort to study, and I never really felt like it was me. I just did it because it was expected after college. Like everybody, all my friends went to university, and it was like I was I think I was the first person from my family to go to university so it was kind of a big deal for my family and I, I, don't, I don't know I just kind of thought maybe this one day might help me and um, after university I kind of dosed around a little bit lived at home and and I just um, I, I worked like in pubs and stuff like that and kind of really didn't have any direction and but in the summers I would go to America and spend my time out out there two months coaching um in Maine and then on the east coast in the northeast on uh for for two months and then I'll travel for a month and so that's how I end up meeting my wife but I, I think deep down I always wanted to be in the military in some way and my my dad that's because of my dad I mean he's my, probably one of my biggest role models as a kid so I think I was always kind of destined for it so um and then yeah I joined at 24 I finally just bit the bullet and went and did it so yeah Awesome. And were you married before you came into the Corps? Or did you get married while you were in the Corps? I was married. I got married whilst I was in the Corps. So we got married in two, summer 2014. So I was, I just come off my LC's course. And straight after the LC's course, I th- flew to the States, had my bachelor party in Chicago for three nights and then got married in Kansas City. Um, and then after, straight after the wedding, we went san diego for a little mini honeymoon and then i flew straight from there back to the uk and, and we went straight to helensburg me and my me and my actually we had to go back to our to go get everything because i was based up at four or five up there and then we moved straight from there to helensburg so it's a pretty busy time yeah that is mental because i i remember you always being married and obviously that's where we met was when you you got to uh Fazers, so that makes sense yeah so most of the people, especially that are brought on the podcast, that are bootnecks and stuff, pretty much I think everyone has been single while, or or just sort of with a partner while they were in the in the Marines. What's the major differences you notice, like profs and dips wise, um, of being married while you're in the court? Well, obviously, when I first started being, when I was first married, in fact, no, when she first moved over to the UK with me, we, we were in our brof. So. Um, and we only lived with each other for a short amount of time. We rented a, a property, uh, like a flat above a bunch of bars. A lot of guys that, are, that have been at four or five probably know where all those bars are. Um, and we were, I can't remember the bar, the bar we were above, but, um, yeah, we lived in this place that was way out of our depth, living on my, you know, pocket change money that we're earning straight out of training. And so, um, but it was just like, it was good fun because all the boys would come around and we'd just, you know, loads of drinking and stuff like that and just messing about being young, young kids. And um, she loved it. She thought it was great, even though she didn't have a job. She thought it was really good. She she loved all the guys and stuff like that. And then, um, but as soon as, 
I got to four or five within like three months, we, we knew we were going to ju- going to the jungle in West Africa. So she had to fly back to the States because I mean, there was no point in her being around. I think we were gone for like three months. So she went back to the States whilst I was gone and I went to the jungle and that was good fun. But when we went to, when I did my LCs course, I knew that I could either go to 539, which is based in Plymouth and they would be going away a lot. Or I could go to Fazers, where, as you know, you spend a lot of time at home or on camp if you're a single guy. So, and we had just got married, so I just I decided that you know for the best best thing for my first year in the in my marriage would be to to stay at home a little bit more. So I decided to go to Fazers, and and it was good for it was good for me and Ellie for, for sure. Like you know, I'm I'm glad I did it. So, and, but then as soon as I went to five three nine, I was away a lot. So. You know, that's props and dips. Like you, you, you know, Ellie kind of suffers a little bit when I want to go away, but she don't miss me that much. I'm not that much of a charming bloke, so you know. Yeah, great, great. <laughs> Cheers, mate. <laughs> awesome, mate. So uh, there's loads I want to uh, I want to talk to you about, and I know we're both sort of pressed for time. So there's there's so much there that I'd like to delve in deeper with, especially um uh, chatting about your old man and and uh, his sort of service and stuff but I think to keep it flowing uh, let's roll on to why you left why did you leave the Marines was that because you wanted to head out and resettle in the US or did that just sort of happen what was the thinking behind that one um so without pinning it too much on Ellie like she always wanted to raise kids in the states and um I never really wanted to leave the core like you know a lot of guys drip about the core because you know there are bad parts about it but you know, at the end of the day, like you do love it because of the guys that you serve with and, you know, you're kind of just going to, to work every day with your mates and just messing about. And, you know, every now and again, you have to take it seriously. But um, but I so I never really want to leave and I was always pretty happy. But um, but Ellie wanted to raise kids in the States and we just had a Mila was just my firstborn was born in uh, in Winchester. And so we. Ellie, you know, thinking we, you know, we're having a kid and she wanted to get home. But um, so I just decided basically to, to, you know, wrap it in and, and move to the States. And I mean, I, at the time I thought it'd be a pretty good gig anyway, moving to the States, new adventure and all the rest of it. But, you know, after even like the first few weeks, I was like, oh God, what have I done? Like, I already miss it. You know what I mean? So it was, it was a tough choice, but I'm glad I've done it now. So, you know, I think that's what matters, isn't it? You know, if you feel like you've made the right decision now um, and, you know, at the time it was what was best for you and the family, wasn't it? So that kind of all yeah. makes sense. When you were uh, when you were sort of leaving, you made that decision, you headed into like the resettlement period and things like that. What was your what was your aims for after the call? What were you uh, hoping to do? Um, I wasn't really sure, to be honest. Um I just my biggest focus was I had to move countries like it was a you know big transition moving countries and I just kind of hoped for the best I knew that we were moving to Phoenix Arizona um, because I said to Ellie I said well you know you've just pretty much decided I've decided where we've lived for the first you know four years of that we've known each other really so why don't you have a have a crack at you know wherever you want to move to and and her, her aunt and her, and like one of her best friends lived lives in Phoenix so we decided to move down there um kind of just randomly never but neither both of us had been there and so i had no real 
expectations about how it was going to go. I knew that there was kind of going to be a teaching job waiting for me in Phoenix, but I had to earn that by proving that I was a good soccer coach. And then I would maybe get offered the PE teaching job. And so when I got over to Phoenix for the first six months, I basically didn't work. I just looked after um, our, our firstborn daughter. And um, whilst we, we house-sitted this really nice place for Ellie's best friend's parents, and I just basically looked after the house and cleaned the swimming pool and and just sunbathed every day and took Hank for a walk and, and then coached every now and again the high school um, and the junior high team. And then, you know, because I did a pretty good job there, they offered me the – oh, and I personal trained as well in the mornings um, at this gym down the road. But then because I did a good job at the school with the coaching, they decided to give me the PE teacher's job. So I didn't really – know what I was doing and I didn't really have any goals I just thought all right just survive at least the first year just survive you know what I mean yeah so you sort of just fell into it uh to where where we are in the story so far then when you um when you were doing PT and obviously you're a CrossFit coach and stuff now and uh and do a lot more do you think the the accent and the British military sort of uh vibe did that help you get more clients or did it hinder you what or did it not really make much of a difference? Um, I think the accent definitely did. Um, I wouldn't say my military experience. At first, I would say my military experience did because when I first got over there, um, I had to go find a gym. I didn't even have a personal training qualification. I just, I literally got a job based on the fact that I was an ex-bootneck. And the guy that owned the gym, he was a former uh, US Air Force. So he he gave me the job based on what he thought I he thought I had really good experience from the old job so but then you know the understanding was that I'd go and get my personal training qualification which I did and um and go from there but I didn't I wouldn't say I didn't play on the fact that I was ex-military I you know with my clients or anything I just they they found out my what I what I'd been in previously through the owner because he had put my profile up on his website and stuff like that and and then I would just work with them and if they asked me questions then I'd tell them but I didn't really I don't really play on it too much I don't really you know what we're like kind of try and stay humble so you don't really talk about it too much but you know Americans like to talk about that stuff so you know you kind of get down a bit of a rabbit hole while you're trying to train them really you're just thinking all right let's just get on with the session because we can be you're not really paying me to talk to you so you know yeah. So I I wouldn't say I'd say the accent helped a little bit because it creates good conversation. But other than that, mate, you know, I don't I don't really play on it too much. Yeah, it makes sense. There's always that uh, misconception, if you like, that you go over to the US as a as a veteran, as they like to say, and you're, you're going to be sort of well looked after and you're going to walk into any job. And I think in certain aspects, you're probably right. But it's good to have it from the horse's mouth, if you like, that. You know, just hit a little bit of realism that, you know, it's not always as easy as people make it out to be. No, but it's not. But I don't think I think I didn't help myself really either because I didn't play on it. Like I said, Mm. um, I think I could have and it may have taken me uh, to to an extent, you know, fairly far. But I just I don't know. Ellie always tells me that I'm not very good at selling myself and. You know, I, she said I should play on it a lot more, but you know what it's like when when you're in the core, they try, try and teach you not to t- say anything. So yeah, so it's difficult. You kind yeah, of you kind of like 
bred to tell nobody that you're in the core unless you trust that person. So I don't know. I just I kind of kept that mindset when I was when I got out, and I think maybe it had a hindrance on where I could have gone potentially. So. Yeah, I think you've got you've got to stay true to yourself. But I I remember from you know when when we were working together and stuff, you are a humble guy, and and even when I sort of uh, approached you about coming on the podcast, I can tell there was the uh, the reservation of going, well, what the hell am I going to talk about? I'm not that interesting, and that is that humility coming through. Um, but yeah, mate, like I think a lot of people in the in the ex-military sort of sphere, if you like, or whatever you want to call it now, are understanding that. It is a business tool. At the end of the day, it is now a business tool. You've got to use everything to your advantage. Um, so maybe you'll use it more now. Maybe you won't. So now you're doing a different full-time job, um, which is a firefighter and EMT. So obviously in the US, it works slightly different. But a firefighter, so is that something you, you plan to do? Or is that sort of, again, you've fallen into it? Um, no, so I, I always kind of thought well if I move over to this when I move to the states I want to be involved in something very similar to the core but I didn't want to join the military I, I thought about going Navy SEALs but I was 29 when we moved over here and the upper age limit for SEALs is 29 or tw- or 30 I think it might be and what was I 28 I was 28 when we moved over here but 29 is the upper age limit and basically as soon as I got over here I, I called the recruiter and said hey what's you know is it possible for me to do this you know with that background and stuff like they might I might have a leg up and they were like well you and I had I think I had six months before six or seven months before I turned 29 and they said well do you I mean you'd have to go through navy navy basic training again you know well not again but you'd have to go through basic training and then there's no guarantee that you'd make it to the seals obviously you know so if, if I didn't make it into the SEALs, then I'd have to be in the Navy full time. And I was like, and that the idea of being on a ship all, all the whole time just scared the hell out of me. So I was like, no chance. I'm not doing that. So I, I decided to just wing it after the, after hearing about that. And then when so for three, uh, three, two, two years, I basically just I, I was a teacher and I, and I actually got a pretty good gig with the school as well. As, and I went and bit was an athletic director as well but then when we got we found out we were pregnant with our second child we decided that within a year we would move back to KC when I got back to when we moved to Kansas City uh back to Kansas City we decided oh I I just had to go get a job and then and I enjoyed it to an extent it was like managing a, a, a soccer complex and it was all right but it wasn't really me and I didn't feel like it was really me. So I decided to pack that in and, and go get my qualifications for firefighting. And so I had to go and get firefighter. There's, you have to get four firefighter courses. It's like firefighter one and two and hazardous materials awareness, hazardous, hazardous materials operations. So I, I did all that in two weeks. And usually that takes about three, four months to do. But so I that is... did like an ex- extensive course, which was two weeks. So I uh, down in middle of Kansas and kind of in the middle of nowhere and um and it was worthwhile because it saved me a heck of a lot of time and and then after that it just left me with the EMT which is which again I did a shorter course it was um you go twice a week full full days Tuesdays Thursdays to go do it's a basically 
um, emergency medical um, technician. So, and it was a nine week course. And once that was done, I had to do some time in a, in, in the ER, which is uh, like the, you know, emergency um, part in, in the hospital and then in some clinicals and at fire departments. And I actually found the department I want to work for through having to do that, those one of those clinicals. And, and I, I must have made a good impression because they ended up hiring me afterwards. So, um, so, yeah, it worked out quite nice. So that's really interesting because obviously over here it's it's done slightly differently. You know, um, you you essentially go on your firefighting course over here and they do it all in house and that comes with a job straight after. So over yeah. there you have to put yourself through the schools. Um, do you pay for that or or is yeah you pay scheme? yeah you pay for that. So um, I won't get into how much it is, but it's not cheap. So um, you have to pay for all those courses. Then you have to go do a physical test which a fair amount of people fail. So that weeds out a lot of people. Um, and then you have to do a written test as well, depending on where you are for um, like which county you live in or which county you apply to. Um, there's a lot of different departments. Um, and some departments like Kansas City, Missouri, Kansas City, uh, Kansas, they they require you to live in their actual, in their district and their counties. So, you know, and we didn't want to live in those counties. The the nicer counties, you know, you, you if you want to live in a nicer area, you, you have to be outside those counties. So, you know, we decided to move, not to do that. And that just limits on where I can apply to. But it's a bit weird. It's kind of a bit strange the way they do things over here. But, yeah, essentially you pay for it yourself. And then and then some some departments put you through an academy as well. Like there's a the, the department where we live now because i don't work in the department of where we live um they put you through in a 16-week academy after you've done all those courses so but i didn't have to do that i just did like an orientation for a month so it was quite easy for me that's mad that is mad so what you say you work in a different county now what's your commute like to work is it long is it short is it is it workable what my my hours uh, well, your commute, like how you get, how long it takes you oh, to get there, and, and your shift pattern. Yeah, my commute is 45 minutes um, in the morning, and then it takes about an hour to get home and, at 7 a.m. in the morning. So this morning I got, I, I, I have to take a different route. So this morning I got off work at 7 a.m. and I get off, and then I, you know, take a different route home because the traffic's crazy, like rush hour traffic, and then. Um, and then I go straight to the gym, to the CrossFit gym, and that's where I was this morning. But I got there a little bit later today, which is why we got onto this podcast a bit later. So, yeah. Is that where you were uh, working at the CrossFit gym as well, or, or just training? Yeah, I do. I do a bit of part-time coaching. So, um, whenever I'm not at the station, I'll do some some morning sessions. I might do some 5:30 a.m. classes. I do the 6:30. Um, the boot camp classes a lot as well which is kind of some most of the time it's a bit older uh, older people which is which is pretty rewarding so um and you know as a result i get i get a little bit of my like a little bit of pocket money and and i get a discounted rate at the crossfit gym um it used to be i used to get a, a fully paid for membership but since i cut down my hours um we kind of agreed that i'd pay a little bit uh, towards it because obviously I couldn't coach as much when I was going to be at the depart- fire department. So, but it's all good. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. It essentially, you know, your work there just essentially pays for your CrossFit membership and then a little bit more. So it just, as you say, a little bit of pocket money. Yeah. 
Yes, that... I, you know, I, I basically essentially get paid kind of to train anyway, because I, I, as soon as I finish coaching, I just I go and do my sessions. So and I, I get, I've got a key to the gym. So like this morning, there was nobody in the gym, but I went and trained gyms to myself, you know, and then I you know, got out and come and talk to you, mate. That's a decent little setup you've got really there then, isn't it? It, it sort of works. Yeah. Yeah, because I get I, I got I go to work for 48 hours and then I get 96 off. So I, I basically work for two full days and I get four full days off. So and there's a gym at work as well. So I just I, I work out at work once a day, uh, once once a shift once, and then I rest the other day. And then the other days that I'm off, I'll, I'll go and train, so uh, you know, at the CrossFit gym. So it's, it is a very good, de- decent setup and I can't really complain, to be honest. It's good to know that you're still a fizz pest, even in your ripe old age. Oh, mate, that's never going to change. Like, <laughs> I might be 31, but that's never going to change. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm even worse now than I used to be. Like, I, I don't run as much because, you know what, I was like, I used to I used to run a lot, um, especially when I was training for that briefing course. But yeah, with Frank, um, Frank the now time. I don't run as much, but I'm still I mean, I still clocked a 536 mile time the other day and um and you know I just I get a lot stronger now and a lot more, a lot better rounded as an athlete so yeah it's all good awesome mate so we've had a nice little chat and we've got into uh, some sort of some interesting stuff and there's so as I say there's so many more talking points I wish we had longer but I think let's get into just for the last sort of five ten minutes let's get into a few um, sort of a little bit more deep questions that you might have to have a little think about um so you've obviously done quite a lot in your time you had a a very sort of experienced childhood if you like with boarding schools and moving around a lot um and then with the core and all the life lessons you've learned about living in america and firefighting and stuff like that what advice would you give to 18 year old kyle who's you know bright-eyed just finished college looking at uni what advice would you give him um i would have I, I wish I'd have figured out what I wanted to do earlier. I mean, I don't, I don't by any means regret going to university because um, if I hadn't gone to uni, I wouldn't have got the idea to go traveling to America and I would never have met Ellie. I'd have never had my kids. Like I, I probably would have just joined the course straight out of, out of college. Um, and I, I probably wouldn't have been ready for it, but I would have had a, at least I would have known what I wanted to do. Like when I, when I got when I was out of university, I, I actually went to go. Um, I went and went to look at the parachute regiment as well. So I I actually. Oh come on, mate. Yeah, I know. I know <laughs> right. But I I chose well at the end. So I actually went up and you know like you do the PRMC with the core. I did their equivalent of that up at Catterick and uh, in in the north uh, in the north up there. So I did went up there and. I just try to compare between the core and the paras and um, and I decided the core just for the caliber of guy that was ended up being the core. It wasn't like because the training was harder or anything like that. I mean, it may have been, it may not have been. My dad did P company. So, you know, and I always kind of wanted to get my wings, but at the same time, once I realized that the caliber of bloke um, for the core, and that's not a knock on the paras. I know that, they're decent as well but I just felt like the guys that I was I went on that PRMC with were a little bit more switched on and it was more I just felt like a little bit more respect was given by the the training staff as well so I just felt like it was probably the better place for me to be 
So I would say 18-year-old Kyle, I'd just say, you know, I should have maybe figured that out earlier. And I actually kind of, I, I, another one, you probably don't know this about me either, but I actually went to go out, try out for the army as an officer. And um, that was before I even looked at the paras or the, or, or the corps. And I've, I've met, I've, I've completely failed it. I didn't prep at all for it. I, my dad was an, ended up being an officer and he did want me to do it. He wanted me to be a pilot in the um, air corps and, on like Apaches and stuff, but I was way out of my depth. Like I, I had no, I didn't prep for it. I didn't take it seriously, and I was, I was pretty devastated after I, I, I literally flunked it. Um, it was like a few days testing, and I just didn't know what I was talking about, and I didn't, I, didn't, I the biggest thing is I just didn't prepare. And if I had any advice to myself at 18, I would just say prepare better. Like, and that taught me. That experience taught me a lot, and I'm really happy I failed it in the end because I found a, a good path with a core, and that taught me to prepare for everything. That if I if I wanted to do something, I had to I had to be better prepared. And and my dad, you know, he he saw that how devastated I was after that experience and was like, okay, you want to join the core? This is what they do. This is their final. This is their final commando test. It's a 30 miler. So my dad, in the end, being a phys ninja as well, was like he 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 worked with one of the, the guys at work was in the core and he got him the 30 miler route we ended up doing the 30 mile route before i even joined the core so and i, I was hanging out i was dying right so immediately i knew what was expected of me and and that was it prepped me well for what was to come so and it, it just made me take it really seriously because i there's no way i would have passed that before training and because we got to like mile 26 or something on the route and my blisters were you know you know what it's like and if you don't prep for it, then, you know, your blisters end up dying. So I, I got to 20, mile 26, I'd tell my old man, stop. Um, and so we just camped out for the night on Dartmoor. And um, and that's what told me, all right, you need to be way better prepared for this. And when, when I got in training, it's it kind of fell into place quite well. I was like, okay, I know this is coming at the end. It didn't phase me, though, because I knew that, training prepped me really well and I was a lot better yomper and then after that I was like okay this is definitely what I wanted to do so you know yeah, 18 think, year old me I would have said prepare better for what you want to do I think that's great life lessons for sort of anyone at any age in it you know if you want to achieve something just prepare prepare as best you can for that yeah. that thing also mate last question before we sign off then um you got two daughters if they grow up uh, and they say they want to be in the military whether that you know, be in the American military or f- for some strange reason want to head over to the, the British um, military, what would your advice to them be? Would you let them go? Would you advise against it? What would your, your thoughts behind that be? Um, I don't know. I never really, I haven't given that much thought. I don't know if I'd really want them to be in the military. Like after hearing all the stories of, you know, it's like the wrens that they get around so much with the, with the blokes. Like, you know, I just, I'm not really, I, I, when I picture my daughters like that, I don't really want them to be involved with that. Like, I, I don't know. I would, I would, I would, I think I would definitely tell them not to do it, but that's just because I've got my own fears. But if, if they really wanted to do it, I would just say, you know, aim high aim for the the best thing you can possibly do my dad did that with me he did p company but he said told me that he thought the bootnecks were better so he told me to aim high and 
I'm glad I did. And you know, being a bootneck was the biggest honour I've ever had. So um, I would tell this, say the same to them. I just say there's no barriers. Like you're only you're only going to go as far as your mental capacity will allow you. You know, if you if you cut yourself off short and don't think that you're going to be able to do it, then you're never going to achieve it. So just believe you can do it and you'll end up getting there it's one way or another you'll end up getting there just don't give up awesome mate awesome so mate there's so much there and i think there's uh in your wise old years you you've uh, you've laid down some uh, bit of wisdom for people to take away there so thank you very much for that last little bit mate before we uh before we sign off you've got a little bit of um a following building on the old social media and i know you put on like a lot of workouts and, and bits like that that you do um so if you want you don't have to do you want to uh, fire out your instagram so people can um can f- try and copy some of your fizz ninja stuff yeah sure uh i, I don't really use facebook too much but instagram I, I do use every now and again um i do like a live uh post in every now and again of my workouts um my instagram is kyle martin k-y-l-e martin m-a-r-t-i-n um it's all one one word um and then 88 at the end and yeah i just post post a lot of live stuff i don't really post much many pictures and stuff but yeah you can follow me there if you really want to awesome mate thank you very much thank you for coming on um as i say i'd wish we'd add longer and maybe we'll get you on again to uh delve in a bit deeper into uh some more of this stuff but thank you very much yep cheers mate appreciate it Thanks for listening to another episode of The Working Title, a podcast hosted by PJ Harris. Remember, do something that makes you just a little bit better every single day.